millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, February 7th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, a bill that keeps Mississippi's Medicaid program operating past the Senate, but not without its critics. The governor can already make those decisions under current law. This gives a little more flexibility. So they were arguing it one way. I see it a little bit differently. Find out why. Then, terms regarding the Kemper Energy Facility are finally settled. Now, what's the cost to ratepayers in the state? And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, dental students at the university are giving back to Mississippians all week long with an annual program. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi lawmakers are taking steps to keep the Medicaid program going. Senate Bill 2836 would remove limits for doctor visits and prescriptions. It also seeks to reduce Mississippi's high premature birth rate by providing the drug 17P to pregnant women. But the bill drew criticism for a provision that would allow the governor to reduce or discontinue optional services such as prescriptions when the agency is over budget. Republican Senator Bryce Wiggins of Pascagoula chairs the Medicaid committee and wrote the bill. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the critics are incorrect. Medicaid's been running deficits for the last at least five years. So uh, the current law already allows the governor to make certain uh, decisions in regards to Medicaid. And so there's a little more flexibility. So I actually think the way it was being described on the floor by what you would term as opponents, I don't think, I don't see it as that way. Um, I think, uh, I think everybody needs to look at it a little, little more, but that's not how I see it as working out, the way they were arguing about it on the floor. Well, how would it work? There's a trigger mechanism, and I don't think it's as broad as they were talking about, and only in certain instances would that apply, which uh, is the case now. And, you know, like I said from the floor, it is a, an executive agency that the governor oversees. And so, you know, there's a little more flexibility. When you say flexibility, does that mean that the governor has the authority to make changes in terms of removing optional services? No, actually, in, as was said on the floor, he can't do that. Well, uh, let me back up. Can't add those services that was said on the floor. Uh, there's a number, the governor can already make those decisions under current law. Um, this gives a little more, this takes the change that was being talked about, gives a little more flexibility. So, you know, they were arguing it one way. I see it a little bit differently. 
but yes, all it says all appropriate measures. Well, what would change if the governor already can make changes? It's just, it's just not as restrictive, and that that's the point. It's just not as restrictive, so it gives the little it gives the governor's office a little more power. It's an executive agency, so as I said from the floor, Mississippi's the only state, if not the only one, then one of two, that puts those restrictions on. Every other place is run by the governor's office or a executive agency. And so, you know, as I said from the floor too, and the people that voted against it, that voted no, actually voted to hand over the whole program to the governor's office. But the bill passed, and so there's uh, limitations as there always has been, on what can be done by the division and by the governor's office. What additional powers does he get? He gets more flexibility to make those decisions when that trigger is done, to make all appropriate measures to decide what he needs to do. Do you anticipate that there will be overages uh, because there have been in the past? Will this bill seek to remove those overages? Spending beyond what's allocated. Okay, Medicaid this year is at $23 million deficit. Last year they were double that. A couple years ago they were at $90 million. So the trend is there. And, you know, we've asked questions as to why that is. I think we're trying to get a handle on, on all that. So, you know, it's about being fiscally conservative and being smart with the tax dollars. We can't continue to run deficits. I mean, that's just not smart fiscally. Senator Bryce Wiggins with our Desiree Frazier. The Senate passed SB 2836 on a 31 to 16 vote. The bill also creates two study committees to review provider reimbursements and how Medicaid is operated. Democratic Senator Willie Simmons of Cleveland says he's concerned the legislature is being left out of the loop on reimbursements and potential service changes. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier more. The Medicaid bill, in my opinion, as it stands, creates a serious problem for the Medicaid recipients as well as the funding aspect of it. The language in the bill basically says that if there is an over expenditure of the amount of money that's appropriated, there will be no deficit. The governor, uh, at his discretion, can go in and cut all optional services, uh, cut payment. Uh, benefits to hospitals and others and anything else that he wished to do in order to bring the Medicaid budget in line. So we're giving discretion to the governor to eliminate services. You talked about the issue of the legislators should do that, if there's going to be any changes. If you're going to change the services uh, that we have put in place for uh, the constituents, uh, the citizens who are on Medicaid, then that should come back before the legislative body as opposed to being given to a commission uh, that's looking at studying Medicaid or to the governor himself. The study commission, what would that do? The study commission will look at, and it has very strong and wide wings, so to speak, because it can sweep in all kinds of recommendations concerning Medicaid to include the managed care participants and their contract the uh, expansion of the managed care program or Medicaid. So that commission that's being created, and it consists of legislators as well as providers, can determine what Medicaid is going to look like 
over and above the required programs that Medicaid has right now. Historically, Medicaid has had deficits annually. Medicaid has deficits annually. We're told today that it's some $20 million. We have seen the deficit as much as $80 million. What this legislation will do is eliminate those deficits and give it to the governor to bring Medicaid within the budget in which we appropriate it. So if the option of services that we, the legislative body, has given uh, will be able to absorb all of those overruns, the governor can eliminate all of those programs in order to bring the budget into compliance. And what's wrong with that? That put the Medicaid recipients and the providers at risk because, again, if the cost of Medicaid, regardless of what reason, if it's more participant, uh, if the services are costing more, if there is a, uh, we underfund it and they run a deficit, then the governor will cut it. So we can leave here knowing that we haven't funded adequately, but we put it in place. And when Medicaid comes and says that it has overexpended the amount of money that we appropriated, then the governor starts to cut. How do you feel about that? It's important that we, the citizen, pay close attention and we, the legislative body, pay close attention. Uh, Mississippi has a high number of Medicaid recipients. Uh, when you get into some counties like Mississippi Delta, you're talking about about 34, 35%. Uh, we have to be concerned about the elderly, the children, the disabled, to make sure that we provide health care for them so that they're not being pushed into our hospitals and costing us even more money. What happens now? we got a long way to go. The bill uh, will leave here and go to the House. The House may send us a bill. Uh, so we'll get into the conference at some point. And then on Easter Sunday, uh, April Fool's Day, we sign it out. Uh, those are big, big days. That's a big day for us, April 1st. And hopefully by then we will have come to our understanding to make sure that we don't send the Medicaid recipient a bad check. We don't April Fool them. We don't crucify them. But we show them love. Thank you, Senator Simmons. The bill also requires reviews by the state's peer committee to keep costs contained. The measure now goes to the House for more work. Coming up, terms regarding the Kemper Energy Facility are finally settled. Find out how it affects ratepayers in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Israel prepares to deport tens of thousands of African refugees. Some say that's hypocrisy. Israel is a country that was founded by refugees, people that fled Europe after the Holocaust. A government plan that could expel 40,000 people from Israel and a backlash. This next time on The Takeaway from WNYC and PRI, Public Radio International. Today at 2 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The loss of a failed power plant will not cost ratepayers in Mississippi. MPB's Ashley Norwood reports. The Mississippi Public Service Commission is unanimously approving a settlement regarding the Kemper County Energy Facility. Mississippi Power Company customers will get a 2.4% rate decrease as part of the agreement. Mississippi Power is writing off $6.4 billion on the failed lignite coal gasification project. The company now agrees it won't ever ask customers to pay it back. Public Service Commissioner Cecil Brown. The $6.4 billion, the majority of that is being absorbed by Southern Company, 
the parent of Mississippi Power Company, not Mississippi Power Company. So I think Mississippi Power Company today is in better shape than they have been in quite a while, as a matter of fact. And going forward, Southern Company will inject more capital into the company. The company should be able to operate on a positive cash flow basis and show earnings. Commissioner Brandon Presley says he initially voted against the 582 megawatt power project. He considers this settlement to be the best outcome possible, given the circumstances. Today it's operating at around 661 megawatts. That's 143 more megawatts of electricity are being produced at Kemper on natural gas than were anticipated to be produced on Lignite Coal. Presley says as part of the deal, the plant will be relicensed as an exclusively natural gas plant. In a statement, Mississippi Power says they are pleased the settlement will resolve the Kemper situation. Ashley Norwood, MPB News. The plant will continue to run as a natural gas plant. Coming up, we'll hear how dental students are giving back to Mississippians all week long with an annual program. That's after a Southern Remedy Health Minute. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Chief of Development and Behavioral Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Today we have an email from Chrissy in Biloxi. It reads, I have an almost nine-year-old daughter who's overweight. I struggle with how to address her weight without giving her a negative self-image. Some of the other girls at school already make snide remarks about her weight. Any advice you can provide would be appreciated. Well, first of all, Chrissy, with your nine-year-old daughter, you have some controls where you can help her without her even knowing that you really are. The first thing you can do is make sure that you model good behavior, that you have healthy foods in your home. Try to make sure that the snacks in your house are things like fruits, fresh fruits and vegetables, and try to do away with the chips and the chocolates and sugars that you have in the house. The other thing that you can do is to make sure that you help her engage in exercise. Nine-year-old children are growing, and so it's pretty easy to just make sure that they get good exercise and eat healthy. You don't really have to restrict calories very much. A little trick, though, if you feel like she's eating too much, you can use a smaller plate, smaller servings, and make sure that when she goes for seconds that you encourage her first to have a glass of water. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy, where the doctors are always in, each weekday at 11 from MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy on the go with the MyBlue mobile app available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. More information at bcbsms.com. It's good to be blue. For moments in black history, we recognize Ronnie Agnew. Ronnie Agnew was the first African-American to head the Clarion Ledger newspaper as executive editor. Under his leadership, the Clarion Ledger was recognized for its coverage of civil rights issues. In 2011, Agnew became the first African-American executive director of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and brought a sense of urgency to MPB that has led to a number of new initiatives. Ronnie Agnew, a leader, a visionary, a pioneer. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Hundreds of children in the capital city are scheduled to receive free oral health exams this week at the University of Mississippi Medical Center School of Dentistry. The dental students are teaching elementary kids how to maintain a healthy smile. This is Dental Mission Week, which includes free cleanings for children from Jackson Public Schools, Mississippi Boys and Girls Clubs, and the Stupot Community Services after school programs. It's part of the National Children's Dental Health Month. Dr. John Smith is Dean of the UMMC School of Dentistry. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood how kids can be considered for the services. So this is our second annual Missions of Mercy. Uh, We call it our Dental Mission Week. One of our primary functions is education of our students to become uh, dentists. And uh, another part of our mission is for service. And so this is a combination of the two. So the students get to actually perform a lot of dental procedures on patients from the community that really need dental work services done. So who are some of the patients that you'll be seeing this week? I think a lot of the patients have been kind of targeted audiences from some of the shelters, um, some of the organizations that have called in and said we have a, a group of patients that really need some dental care services. They don't have access sometimes to uh, private dental care. And so this it's kind of more of a targeted audience, although there will be some patients just from out in the community that will hear about this and will actually come to the school for some treatment. Now, we really don't want to have a long line, people standing, you know, half a mile long to get in and having to wait. So we would kind of ask people to maybe call the school to see if there's a certain day that might not be as targeted for those other, other participants and that we could see some patients from the general public. Now, also involved in this is our Give Kids a Smile Day. And so we've kind of taken the Give Kids a Smile Day that we've done for years and kind of merged it into this Dental Mission Week. So we'll, we'll examine the children uh, and we'll designate their needs and then we'll bring them back the rest of the week for dental treatment. And so we'll, we'll see the children, some of the children that once again does not have access to private dental care. So um, could you kind of talk about what is the state of oral health in Mississippi? What we really are concerned about is um, some of the communities for the families and the children uh, do not have access to private dental care. There's some obviously some areas in Mississippi where medical care is needed, dental care is needed. And so, um, you know, we're here at Fortunate here in, in, in Jackson and in Hines County. Uh, there's a, a lot of dentists here. We have the dental school here. There was a recent survey um, that talked about the ranking of Mississippi in terms of dental care, one of the worst in the nation. What do you think contributes to that? I think, once again, it's, it's more of a uh, distribution issue. Uh, the private dentist, uh, you know, there's certain areas that just it's hard to support a dentist or even a, a physician. And so I think having to drive and having access to care is an issue. I think one of the things that the dental associations are looking at is a dental navigator. And that person would be someone who's not a dentist, could be a dental hygienist, for instance, that helps families navigate through a system to obtain dental care, be it travel, be it finances, be it whatever the hindrance is for them to obtain dental or maybe medical care. This person would actually sit down with them almost like a social worker and would help them get to the services and identify whatever the problems would be to keep them from getting to an area to have dental care done or medical care done. With Mississippi having poverty as well, what about obesity? Could that in some way be linked with dental health in the state? Good oral health depends on uh, nutrition, 
uh, and certain foods certainly are not conducive or, or maybe would lead towards dental cavities, dental caries. And so certain uh, sweets and carbohydrates, sugar drinks that are high, uh, soft drinks, all those things contribute to dental caries. And so having a healthy diet would be linked towards general health, obesity, and also towards dental care. So yes, there is. there should be maybe not a direct link but, but certainly an indirect link towards uh, some of the diets of, of some people and the incidence of dental decay. What are some things that you would like the listeners to know in terms of taking care of their dental health? First of all, uh, we would like for everyone to have what we call a dental home. And that's your dental office. That's your private dentist. That's your dental hygienist. That's your team that's going to help work with you uh, and take care of any problems that you have right now and also work towards a prevention of further dental needs, uh, be it diet, be it um, home care, brushing, flossing, recommendations on certain, um, for instance, patients that are on certain medications. There's just a lot of things. What are some of the health concerns or issues that you see? I guess people that kind of tend to wait to the last minute to come in to have, uh, they know they've got a little dental problem, and for whatever reason it is, be it finances, be it travel, be it uh, maybe anxiety about coming to the dentist, they kind of put that off until it gets to the point where it gets to be a, an extensive and expensive procedure to be done. So if you can encourage someone, if you think you have um, any kind of need, please get it looked at as soon as you can. And once again, if you can find a dental home, that's going to be the best advice I can give you. So is any and everyone available to come in this week, or are there certain guidelines or certain you know restrictions with our limited facilities here, we only have so many dental chairs and we only have so many dental providers that can provide treatment. Um, so we're not really set up to take just a large mass from the general public. The people who arrange this have a kind of a targeted audience and they, they involved uh, service agencies and things and recommendations. So most of these patients do have kind of a semi-appointment. Whether there's other appointments available, for the general public, they could contact the dental school to say, is there a certain day that we don't anticipate having as many of the targeted audience where they had gone out and recruited patients? So possibly yes. Dr. John B. Smith at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Andrew Sinclair is a dental student at UMMC. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood he enjoys giving back. Today we're seeing kids from the Jackson School District, and uh, we're doing profings or cleanings, exams, and uh, some sealants and fluoride application. Speaking with the dean, he talked about education and also service. So how important is it to kind of combine the both here? I think it's great because we've um, obviously talked about service a lot and, and, and giving back to our state and all, but this is a really good chance for us to actually do that and see some immediate results. How do you get kids like off of that anxiety high about going to the dentist? It's hard, but um, I like to just laugh with them, uh, give them high fives, you know, ask them about school, sports, um, let them play with the instruments before I go in their mouth and just try to get them comfortable in the chair and the environment. Um, generally, it works pretty well, but, you know, there's always challenges. What are some of the main dental issues you see amongst children? The dental problems obviously just get more complicated the older the patient gets, but, um, you know, the first thing we see with kids is just generally decay and um, Honestly, just lack of care, and so um, we try to educate him a little bit. You know, talk to him about brushing once a, or twice a day, morning and night, and um, again, get him comfortable with the dentist so that they'll go and uh, hopefully get on a good track to have a healthy mouth the rest of their life.
Student dentist Andrew Sinclair with our Ashley, Ashley Norwood. Tamika Shoemake-Jones is a first grade teacher at Johnson Elementary School in Jackson. She says the program is good because it raises awareness for families. I think they should do this for all school districts because some parents do not take their kids to the dentist, so that would be a good experience for them to go to the dentist with the school, and then maybe they can encourage their parents to take them to the dentist more often. To learn more, visit the UMMC website. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Atmos Energy, with a reminder that it's free to call 811 to have underground utility-owned lines located and marked. Calling 811 two business days before starting to dig is the safe thing to do.